Today's scripture reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Let's hear God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the doxology. If you want to hang a picture frame on your wall, it's pretty easy. You just put a nail on the wall and put the frame on. But if you're looking to hang a shelf, it's a little bit more complicated. How you connect it to the wall makes a bigger difference. A nail won't work. You'll need screws. And you can't just screw it in wherever you like, but you uh, need to know the nature of the wall and you might need anchors or you need to find a beam or a stud. Because if you don't do it properly, the shelf may attach to the wall, but once there's weight on the shelf, it could come falling off if it's not connected right. Now, what is it that connects people? The Bible says one of the deepest connecting uh, forces between humanity and God is love. And look, do you need something that deep for general friendships? No. You can have a common interest with somebody, and that's a good enough connecting point, but, but that common interest won't bear the weight of life. And so for that friendship to be sustained through difficulties, you need more than just a common interest. Uh, the most sustainable um, thing that we have to connect us to one another and to God, uh, by God's grace and spirit, is love. And so this passage encourages us to stir one another up to love. That's verse 24. Stir one another up to love. And as we consider that this morning... Um, that's needed because relationships are important. We need love to have good relationships, but also we need relationships to encourage one another for love. And therefore, we're going to talk today about fellowship. So at Emmanuel, we have five core practices. Now, every Christian church does these in some capacity. Um, we just want to lay them out as our foundation so we um, know what our priorities are and that uh, in whatever other great things we seek to do, we don't stray from the, the basics. And we call these five practices FWPSM, F-W-P-S-M, fellowship, the word, prayer, sacraments, and mission. And from May and June, each week we're going through these practices, and today we're talking about fellowship. Now, I'm not going through them in the order of FWPSM, we're going through the order of Acts 2, where the series began where that community filled with the Spirit, overwhelmed with the grace of God, it said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so that was last week, we looked at the Bible, the Word, and to the fellowship, that was what was next. So today we're gonna to talk about fellowship. Now fellowship as a word, the, the translation from the Greek word, is more than just friendship, more than just common interest, more than just community, but there's a, a deep sharing that you see in, in the Acts 2 passage that we looked at where they shared their time and their lives and their possessions and that picture of Christian community where God's spirit is present, where people love one another 
and are stirring one another up to love, that creates real fellowship. And um, Hebrews reminds us that we need to meet together. So in verses 24 and 25, it says, let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. That, that ordinary community life, God calls individuals, each of us are different, our spiritual experience with Christ may be different, but he places us in communities, the church. And that church is to be marked by a number of things, but one of them is uh, that fellowship. And so we need to meet together. And today I want to talk about uh, three elements of Christian community where we need to meet together. And the first is that we need to meet together with a community of faith and hope. So as we're talking about fellowship, we need to meet together, but with a community of faith and hope. Now that language of community of faith is often how people refer to religious communities. Maybe they don't talk about communities of hope or communities of love, but the Christian church should be marked by all three of those. And we know that community is important. There's been a number of studies recently that have gotten attention. There's, a, there's an economist named Raj Chetty who works with uh, an organization, Opportunity Insights, doing sort of big data analysis. And so, so this is showing up, their, their kind of work is showing up in different places about uh, if you not only look at what neighborhoods people grow up in, but within a neighborhood, sometimes several blocks, um, it's not that it's determinative of what will happen to every individual within those blocks, but the general trends are certain ideals, certain values, certain resources make certain outcomes more likely. And, and these researchers are trying to say, how do we address social problems? And they're recognizing social context is very important, very influential. Well, the church uh, is one of those contexts that by God's means that God calls individuals, come to me, learn. And, and a lot of Christian life needs to be worked out on our own. We need to have prayer, we need to read the Bible, but if you look at these practices, the breaking of bread, you need to eat by your, yourself, but the, the sharing of a meal, for example, is important, and fellowship this idea of relationship. You are to be placed in a community, but not just any community, a community of faith, hope, and love. Those three are quite important. And so in this passage, there are three let us statements. Uh, let us do these things. The first in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The assumption is you should be with a community that believes the gospel, and that belief is important for the outworking of love. Uh, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So then we get to verse 24, it says, let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So that community that has faith, the community that has hope, is the context for a community to be sustained with real love. Um, and, you know, sometimes we want to jump right to, to the love because that's what's actionable. But the reality is loving the way Jesus calls us to. He sets a very high bar, not just for our actions, but, but internally. Uh, our hearts should, should experience the love of God. That is really hard to sustain without encouragement, without help, without people reminding you that we're, we're getting distracted, we're getting discouraged, and encouraging us on that. And, you know, different Christian communities may have a leaning towards faith, hope, or love. We're all supposed to be well-rounded in them. You know, a Presbyterian church, um, 
like ours, self-consciously in the Reformation tradition, where, where the rediscovery that excited things back in the 1500s was we lost the essential component of faith. And so faith is rightly put back in its center and we need to hold to it. But Presbyterians sometimes are known more for good books than good works. And we wind up having a very cognitive understanding of the faith that we work it out, but, but we're not always known for that faith transforming itself into the kind of belief in God and his grace that puts us as people of action. In more charismatic circles, uh, now again, these are generalizations, but, but charismatic churches tend to thrive where people are not thriving, where life is hard, and a, a belief in God's present power to bring about the things we hope for is sometimes in, in you know, a, a Pentecostal kind of church in a poor community, for example. But there could be so much uh, focus on a future hope that there could be a disconnection between how faith informs the rest of your life. In a city like New York, a lot of the historic churches that own buildings and have the endowments tend to be more liberal churches. And those churches will often be the ones that, that highlight love as an action um, and want to see tangible addressing of social needs, but without preserving the faith tradition, without holding to that hope. They don't need to hope if you have a $10 million endowment. So what do we do in the present? Well, let's change the world. Well, that's a good change. Um, but without faith and hope, it's hard to see how, outside of imagery and certain vocabulary, how the church is different from any other social organization. And so, uh, you know, as, as our country has divided, <clears throat> we find churches tend to divide along similar sociological lines. Um, and it's because we're, we're not able to hold together these things God gives us, this faith of what Jesus has done, this hope that God will fulfill what he promises, the love that is poured into us and sends us out. And for us to stir one another up to love and good works, we have to be a community grounded in faith, remembering it's what Jesus did for us that is the foundation of all things, and that hope that God will fulfill what he promised that allows us to do the hard and often discouraging work of uh, going back to love people. People can be hard to love. It's hard for us to continue to love. And so, so many of us get most excited about that Christian expression, the tangible, the good works, for good reason. But if the good works are not grounded in what God has done, what he calls us to, what he trains us in, what he promises, then we're not going to continue in them. So it's kind of like, you know, they have these um, cooking videos. So it went from the half-hour cooking show to now a five-minute video that's so concisely packed where they've, they've measured everything out beforehand, they've got the water boiling, and you could even see in the way that it's edited that there's not a wasteful sentence or word or pause, that sometimes you could see in the middle of a sentence they, they move to another idea. So in five minutes, you get something so engaging that even if you never plan on making that food, you want to watch that video just because it's more uh, holding of your attention and more stimulating than whatever work you're supposed to be doing. And so you watch that video and it inspires you, but the reality is when you go to make that meal, you can't do it in five minutes. You do need to boil your water and you do need to measure everything out unless you have that endowment that you could hire somebody else to do those things for you. And you could have a great five minutes cooking, but for most of us, uh, the actual making of the meal, the watching the video is more exciting sometimes than sitting down and making the meal. You think I'd rather watch the video and not have the meal. 
than spend the 45 minutes over the stove wondering why my item is sticking to the pan when the person in the videos did not. Um, you know, you read, you see the pictures of world-changing organizations or you read about influencers and it's, it's exciting and it's inspiring and we should want that. But that, that one three-minute clip of how people are making a great impact doesn't always tell the story that behind the scenes there was anger and frustration and people wanting to quit and some people quitting and going back and doing it. But that's where we live. Uh, we live in this world where the hard work of loving one another takes time and it's discouraging and it can be boring and it could be painful and there could be vulnerability. And so we're told to meet together to encourage one another because it gets discouraging. Stir one another up. And so, for us to consistently love as Jesus calls us to love, which is a very high bar, we need to trust Jesus. We need to know what he promises. And with that foundation, then we mobilize one another. We stir one another up to love and good work. So, you need a community of faith and hope. Now here, secondly, uh, we need to meet together for encouragement to practice the ways of Jesus. So he tells us to keep meeting together, meet together, uh, for encouragement to practice the ways of Jesus. So this idea of stirring each other up, that's verse 24. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And in the language of verse 25, meeting together is to encourage. And you wonder, why does he tell us we need that? And try to do it and you'll realize, oh, it's discouraging. <laughs> so we needed a community that encourages us. You, you try to do it and it just doesn't work or your own heart is not in it or uh, people are not responding as you'd like them to and you want to give up. So you need a community that says, don't give up. What went wrong? How do we fix it? How do we try again? Let me pray for you. So we want to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Um, I happen to be reading today, uh, th there's, a, there's a book called Everybody Lies and the author of it has another book that came out and in it he was talking about his first book. If I lost you there, don't worry. I'm just going to read a quote about that first book, Everybody Lies. The author says, after I wrote Everybody Lies, like any good market researcher, I asked readers what resonated with them most. Most people told me they were particularly moved by some of the sections on the world's biggest problems and how they might fix them. Sections on child abuse or inequality, for example. But as the author of Everybody Lies, I was skeptical of what people said and wanted to see some other data, perhaps some digital truth serum. I looked at the most underlying sections on Amazon Kindle versions of the book. I noted that people frequently underline passages about how they could improve their lives and rarely underline passages about how to improve the world. People are drawn to self-help, I concluded, whether they admit it or not. Now, we don't need to pit these against one another. You could be trying to improve your own life as part of your trying to improve the world. But when it comes down to it, I think most of us really want to see the world a better place. We wanna, we wanna see people loved. We wanna see more justice. But when it comes down to it, I do wanna see my own happiness and comfort. And I don't always get to the other things. And the Christian community is supposed to get beyond that. It's not easy. If you know your own heart, if you try it, you'll realize, I want it enough that I tried it, <laughs> but I don't know that I want it so much to keep trying it. And so we need a community that believes this is right, that hopes that it's worth doing and stirs one another up.
to love and good works. And so the funny thing about trying to be ethical, whether it's in Christianity or some other system, is there's an initial phase of excitement when you start to learn um, some of the possibility, when you start to, to learn some of the ways that you could change, and maybe some of the more minute points. You thought you were pretty good, but actually you weren't, and, there, and you could be even better. That could be very motivating. But consistently doing it, uh, sometimes as you're improving, you're actually becoming a more moral and ethical person. So you're improving, but now you're starting to understand what ethics are, so you feel worse. So you're actually doing more, you're learning more, but you're starting to realize, I really thought that I was a decent person now that I know that I wasn't, and I currently wanted to be a decent person, but it's clear that I'm not. And again, Christianity's bar is high, not simply in what Jesus tells us to do, but he looks at our hearts. And so the Christian life itself can be very discouraging. Will we follow Jesus? Will we love as he loved, which is what he calls us to? It's exciting. It's rewarding. But after a while, you start to realize, I'm not like Jesus. I'm not like Paul. I'm not like Moses. I'm not even like Ezra Kwan. You know, one year old, two years old, he's got an advantage that I don't have. Look at the mess that I'm making of things. And so the Christian life needs faith and hope to know that God is gracious and forgiving, to know that God uses imperfect people and one day will, will bring a realization of the things he's promised so that in the present I can say, you know what, I am learning that I'm more selfish than I want, but I'm not going to accept that as the norm. But you need a voice outside of yourself to say, no, neither am I. Let's try together. And it's that guilty conscience that discourages us, that, that keeps us from believing God loves us, that believes us, keeps us from believing love actually works in this world, um, where then we start to see that, that our imperfections manifest themselves in, in two ways that they manifest itself in us that undermines connection and community is through pride and shame. And most of you will say, I tend to really lean one of those directions, but if you, if you grapple with one, though they're distinct, uh, you experience the other. They are distinct, but they work wonderfully together, pride and shame. And so pride undermines community in big ways. I'm above them. They don't matter to me. But sometimes it's in small ways where it's just those people are boring. Uh, or that Bible study doesn't seem a good enough use of my time. Look, sometimes you have to evaluate things, but sometimes it's our pride that, that makes us just feel like, you know what, there are better communities for me than the people that simply read the Bible and encourage one another to love and good works. But it's also our shame that makes us think, I don't know that I should show up because if I have to say something, I'm going to demonstrate that I have not advanced in my understanding of Christianity as these others have. And when they go around and share prayer requests, I don't want to ask to pray about what I actually need prayer for because I seem to be worse than the person that just um, needs more patience while they're in line. Uh, I actually need a lot more than that, and so maybe I'll not show up at that community because, because I don't belong. I, I haven't made the progress. Our pride and our shame keep us isolated. And the Bible describes the adversary, God's enemy, as one who uses whatever he can, lies, accusation, to separate us out. And Jesus is saying, don't believe lies, don't believe accusation, understand my love for you, and don't remain separated, but come together. Let's keep meeting together. 
And so we're going to have to grapple with our pride. We're going to have to grapple with our shame. But we need to grapple with them with other people, which is why this charge is so uh, clear. Let's not give up meeting together, but let's encourage one another. And where the gospel is the foundation of a church community, we constantly have something to point back to to encourage each other. When you could say, you know what, I don't have an answer for you. Where you, yes, you are continuing to fail in this, but let's keep encouraging one another not to give up, but, but to walk through this together. And so we need a community that doesn't just encourage, but encourages the right things. And that's where that faith, hope, love community, because just look, there's lots of people that we're, are encouraging, that will say nice things, that will get behind you, whatever it is you want. But we want a community that says, I want to encourage each other. Let's encourage each other with the things that God wants. We really believe that, that Jesus' ways are good. So how do we get together to do that when we get discouraged? Um, watch out when you don't want to meet together with others. Is it, what, what is it about them? <laughs> are they below you or are you below them? That's not the mind of Jesus. We need to push against that. We need to come and encourage one another to stir one another up. And here's a, a third element of Christian community. We need to meet together to process and apply Christianity to the present. So one of the reasons we meet together is because we live in real time and because our specific situations are often complex enough that we don't know what to do or we know what to do and we don't want to do it um, or we face the same old situation other human beings have but in new forms, new technologies and, and sort of we don't know is... Is, uh, is our grappling with um, social media the same as the generation of the 50s and 60s dealing with TVs in the home? Maybe, maybe not. Things are similar, things are different. We need to meet together to say, what does it look like to stir one another up to love and good deeds in our neighborhood, in our city, in this generation, in our context, in the world as it is now? Um, and so what we have in this passage, faith, hope, and love, these invisible realities and invisible for us often signals not real not tangible but good works are tangible these invisible realities are meant to be embodied and so it's kind of like satellites floating around in outer space I actually I haven't seen any satellites for myself I see the pictures of the satellites the so-called you know pictures uh, I believe they're there even though I don't see them so so not seeing them and believing in them is not crazy Belief in God feels crazy. God is just an idea, except Christianity says this God incarnated, flesh and blood. He was actually seen. And that Jesus was not only crucified, but he was raised, and so he actually sits, Hebrews tells us, in the heavenly realms with flesh and blood. So that's a lot to take in. There's a lot of hard theology in the book of Hebrews, no less the, the whole Bible. But that that tangible reality is meant to take us as embodied people and to know the power of God's love in order that we would love with that same power. So verses 19 to 22, before we get to the three let us, let us have faith, let us have hope, let us love, there are two since statements. <laughs> the foundation, since these things are true, let us. Verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So there we have flesh and blood. We have this new and living way um, made possible through Jesus, the embodied Jesus. 
And then verse 21 a second. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, so we have a people, an embodied people. We have an embodied Jesus with his flesh and blood who now sits over a flesh and blood community. Then let us draw near with a heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And that love and those good works are, are embodied realities. We take the reality of what God not simply tells us, but he, what he did for us. We know that God loves us, not simply because Jesus is the messenger who announced it, but with that flesh he was pierced, and with that blood, that life he was shed, the, the blood was shed, and there's an analogy then between his flesh and blood and our flesh and blood. And I don't know if first century people understood basic biology like we do. I suspect that they knew that the heart pumped blood. So I don't know that there's a clear analogy here between uh, the blood of Jesus and the heart of us, the flesh of Jesus, uh, and our bodies that are washed. So I don't know that that's intended by the passage. But clearly the connection between what Jesus did and laying down his body has the implications of, of what is our present hope? What is our faith based on what he did? And what is our hope that God would one day realize it? It's that by his flesh, and being, uh, his flesh being torn on the cross, his blood being shed, using the language, the imagery of the temple, it's like that curtain that separated God from humanity was open. There's a new and living way made possible by Jesus so that we can have that confidence to draw near and what keeps us from drawing near? It's our pride and our shame. I'm good enough, I don't need it. I'm not like them. There are, yes, there are some people that, that made a mess of their lives and Christianity works for them. And then you try to t follow the teachings of Jesus and you realize there's no them, the community of people who are worse than me. But you realize if Jesus needed to lay down his life so I could be forgiven, uh, there's an us, a group of sinners that only uh, have hope that God is gracious. Yes, our pride keeps us from God. We can't get through life if we live to our life expectancy, disillusioned by pride. We may fight seeing our own failings and our own flaws, but at some point we're gonna be confronted by our own shame which says, but now that you'd like to, you're not good enough to come if you wanted. And, and that's where this, this message of hearts sprinkled clean and bodies washed is so helpful and so powerful. And, and it's hard for us to grasp. The book of Hebrews makes a very complex argument that assumes that you know something about the Old Testament and, and the work of priests. And even if you don't know anything about it, you can maybe grasp a little bit of what he's saying. We tend not to use the language of unclean to describe how we experience life. Uh, it's more of a religious word. So we have other words, but how many of us really feel that, that, that there's something about ourselves, our own unworthiness, the things we've done, the things that haunt us, that leave us feeling, yeah, unclean might be, might be an appropriate term. There's something that makes me want to stay away and not, not go and defile or, or not come and be among a community that will look down on me. We may not use that language, but if we do, that taps us into uh, the processes that God gave symbolically through the temple and in reality through Jesus, that he becomes unclean by bearing our sin. His flesh, his blood shed for us so that our hearts could be sprinkled clean. There's an inner change 
that yes, you and all of your terrible thoughts that continue, God is gonna do a work from the inside out. That's how gracious he is. That's how powerful the gospel is. He will sprinkle our hearts clean. And he gives us a sign for our bodies that we would be washed. It's an outward sign, it's baptism. And we need changed lives, we need changed hearts, but there's something to say when you come into this community, you come via the promise of God, the faithfulness of God, the work that he has done, the love of God. And there's something then to be said that none of us belong, but by the invitation of God, all of us belong. And, and we come into the church um, in order to change, to be cleansed, to become better. And so that's what we want, but between what Jesus has done to make it possible that we are now forgiven, and between the future promise that will be realized one day that when we see him, we will become like him, we grapple with our imperfect selves. And unless we know of God's love for us, and unless we love God, and unless we love one another, we're not gonna make progress. And so what we're told is to believe that by faith you have been sprinkled clean at the level of your heart. He's making your heart new. Be patient. He's doing the work. And your body has been washed symbolically if you've been baptized. And so now, uh, believe that he loves you and, and live out of that. And you know, I, I, uh, every now and then I need to, to put the chain back on my bike if it pops off and I wind up with this grease on my hands. And so I go home, um, spend five minutes at the sink trying to get my hands clean and they don't look quite like they were beforehand. There's still a discoloring. But I get to the point where I realize it's not gonna, it's not gonna get any cleaner now. Um, so I'm ready to go and eat. My hands are, they don't look clean, but if I pick up food, I believe that it's clean. If I sit on my light colored furniture, I don't believe that I will be passing this on. And so it doesn't look the same, but I, I believe that I'm clean enough to, to go out and continue. Sometimes the Christian life feels like that. We're told God renews us from the inside. You're justified by faith, not by anything you do. And you say, but uh, boy, there's so much more to do. And God says, sure, but you might just need to wait. But in the meantime, don't wait till you feel clean enough to go out into the world, but, but trust what I have done and trust what I'm going to do. And so now you're ready to go out to join that community, to love one another, to encourage one another, and to stir one another up to love and good works. And so you need to be in a community that will help you with that, that will encourage you, that will bear your burden. And the church is meant to be that. And so let me leave you with this. In verses 24 and 25, I like that language. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Um, I like the language of let us consider because it says one of the tasks of Christian community is we're a learning community. We need to constantly process the present to say, we need to think about how to do it now. I don't know how to deal with this specific situation that I'm facing. I also don't understand as the world has changed how that changes things for us. So one of the things we need to consider is Zoom as a tool. To what degree is that a good enough tool in certain situations to say this is the appropriate way for us to have Christian community so we can meet together even if we're separated but what are the lines that actually, if you realize my best friends are scattered throughout the world, should my church be those people meeting over Zoom? Or is it actually important that I could break bread, not just I have my meal and you have your meal. Oh, you're in New York, you had pizza, you're in Singapore and you're having noodles while we're eating together. Is it important that we're actually, I'm able to let you taste 
my noodles. And so we need to figure that out. What, what of Zoom is good and is helping us have community? You know, my own experience, we have these Tuesday morning and evening prayer meetings. My experience is that Zoom is good for prayer because I get to see the people, but I'm one of those that always prays with my eyes closed. You don't have to, but once I close my eyes, I'm aware that people are there. I kind of feel the Zoom prayer meeting, I like it. I'm glad that we can do it. I'd rather be in person, but for a Tuesday night meeting, sometimes I'm tired enough, I'm glad not to have to go 20 minutes somewhere. I like the Zoom prayer meeting. Um, after being at home on Zoom for worship, I like singing with people a lot better. And so I will go to the Zoom prayer meeting, but if I can, I will go to the embodied gathering. Now, what are the rules? There's no rules here. Let us consider how to stir, what, what kind of community do we need right now in our context to make sure that we're still having faith in Christ, that we're still hoping in what he has promised, and that right now we're encouraging one another to love and good works. We need to figure that out. But what we can't do is give up. Um, so it says, let's consider how to stir one another up, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. I don't know about you, but I formed some habits in the last two years that don't incline me to meet together. I've gotten comfortable being home. I feel at times I'd rather see you on Zoom without a mask than see you in person with a mask. Um, there are all these things that make me feel sometimes like, you know, I might set this one out. So I formed new habits. And this says, well, some are always in the habit of doing that. Uh, but let's be those who do not neglect meeting together. It's always going to be the habit of some not to do that. You could always find a reason. Find a reason to get together. Now, we need to figure out how do we get together safely in this context, but we need to figure out how to get together. And so don't form the habit of being on your own. Uh, God will do a lot of work in your life between you and God. But there are some things God is going to do between you and other people, with other people. And so don't neglect meeting together, but let's encourage one another. Let's consider, let's think about how we can stir one another up to love and good works. Let me pray for us. Uh, our Father, uh, even in this assembly today, many of us in this room, many of us in our homes and on Zoom, uh, boy, Lord, we all are wavering in our hope. Uh, we are not anchored in our faith, and our love is... Is not anywhere like the love of Jesus. And yet we love because you first loved us, and so, Lord, remind us again of what Jesus has done, has done with his flesh and with his blood. And remind us of what you are doing with our bodies, sprinkling our hearts clean and washing us so that a very imperfect group of people could come together uh, and by faith in you encourage one another to growth because it is your work. And so, Lord, may our community grow in that way. Forgive us for all of our current failings and all of the failings that are woven into who we are and how we did things. May this be a season of change. Uh, we also pray for any one among us who is grappling with pride. Be gentle, uh, but show them that you are greater. And we pray for anyone who's struggling with shame. Show them that by your grace they have a place with you and your people. And may we be a humble community that by faith and with hope not simply stirs one another up to love, but it, it really manifests itself in good works, that, that we become people who are more like Jesus. <clears throat> Help us all with that, we pray in his name. Amen.